0: We just want to take this time and say thank you for the blessings that we can see and rejoice over. Lord, uh, just providing hours at work and helping make goals and opportunities to witness, Lord, what a what a great blessing it is to share the gospel with others. Uh, Lord, all that you did there with uh, Brother Franz and Sonia and little Xavier, and uh, we're thankful that they're home, and Lord, thankful that... We can be a blessing to them to uh, abundance in providing meals so that uh, they can concentrate on just spending time with the new little one. We, We just thank you for you working in our lives. And Lord, don't let us forget to be thankful for the things that you do to protect us and keep us that we don't see and don't even know about. Help us to be ever mindful. That your hand is always there protecting and guiding us. We thank you for being such a great and good God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul went through and gave all of those lists of things to do. uh, Just a checklist for the church. And uh, the most wonderful thing about the church of Thessalonica, they weren't in trouble. But if you don't, be careful. You're going to get there. And today we're going to do a checklist of blessings. And I think this will be the last sermon in that series. The only list that we haven't covered uh, in in this series is lists of sin. And I think that's something we're well familiar with and don't need to spend a lot of time on. But uh, let's just start here in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were Before you. Now, in time past, uh, we have spent an entire uh, sermon on each one of these, what is called the Beatitudes, and that's really not our goal tonight, but just to go through these and to look at them and just to kind of use them as a reference. As something to look at in my life. I mean, if I were to ask you how many want to have a blessed life. How many of you could use more blessings in your life? Would, I mean, if your hand doesn't go up, you got bigger problems than you think. Amen? And, and the simple truth is, how do we do this? Jesus is teaching here. Uh, there are some who want to relegate this passage. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. To those that live in the Millennial Kingdom. I'm not there. Uh, I believe these are the rules that the Christians ought to live by today. This is how we ought to behave right here and now. And so the first is, blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and I want to be disciplined tonight. We could spend the whole night right here. Uh, because I think this is one thing that if we stumble at, if we got a problem, it's right here. Because... And by the way, if you don't get this one, you can try for all the rest, but you're never going to get them. You, you must start here. The idea of being poor means you do not have sufficient and you cannot get it. Uh, it's not that I don't have enough money to, to buy food this week, so... Uh, I'll just use Visa MasterCard. That's not poor. Uh, Poor is when you need it, but you don't have it to buy it, and you can't get it. My aunt was married in the Depression, and she said, you know, a loaf of bread only costs a nickel. Now, that's hard for us to imagine. But then she said, but by gum, you didn't have the nickel to go out and buy it. She said we'd get our paycheck at the end of the week. And it would be two or three dollars for a week's work. Now, that would be really nice figuring taxes on two or three dollars, wouldn't it? And tithe wouldn't be a problem with two or three dollars. And she said we would take a quarter down to the grocery store and 50 cents to the, uh, the man that we owed rent to. And we'd take uh, a, a dime over here and a nickel over here. And I said, boy, that just does it. She said, I know you can't imagine it. She said, but the only way we lived in those days was by keeping our credit good, by making little payments when we could. Otherwise, you know, a lot of people really did without during depression. If you've ever known someone, uh, my aunt, bless her soul, when she passed away, there was six months of food in her basement. You know why? Because she had lived in that time period when there wasn't anything and there was no way to get it. And she was never going there again. And and so, I mean, uh, my brother actually bought the house and and uh, emptied it out, and I, he said, we just threw away hundreds of pounds of canned goods that had sat on the shelf for 20 years, and, uh, but poor. When's the last time you got before God and really understood that you can't do it? That's what being poor in spirit is. It's how you got saved. How many of you remember the turmoil well, you went through in your soul until you got poor enough that you realized you had nothing and you could get nothing? You deserved nothing. And yet Jesus said, if you ask of him, he'll give you everything. By the way, if it's good enough to get saved by It's good enough to live by. How big a mess have I made when I've tried to do things for the Lord? What a blessing to just get on my knees and say, God, it's not working. I can't do it. I can't figure it out. You're going to have to step in. And he always will. And what a blessing it is to see God do the work instead of me. Amen. That. We don't have time, but read Hebrews 3 and 4. The rest for the Christian. That comes to the poor in spirit. If you're not at rest tonight, if you're struggling with things, read the letter to the church at Laodicea. You think you have it. And the reason why you're frustrated is because you can't buy it with what you have. God's blessings are too expensive to be purchased with human effort. That's why blessed are the poor in spirit. It is blessing when I stop trying. The second one. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We live in a world where we're taught to feel good about everything. Where you're not allowed. Uh, the first time I heard this on the radio, I, I went to Brother Franz. I said, "This this cannot be true. Uh, they gotta be making it up." He said, "No, no, we actually get it." He says, "I still do it, but we're not really supposed to." They had passed a rule or sent out a regulation that. Teachers in New York City public schools were not supposed to mark questions wrong on tests with red ink because it's like yelling at your students. You don't want them to feel bad. You know what? If you can't add 2 plus 2 and you're in the 10th grade, I think you ought to feel bad, don't you? Uh, If you can't read... Don't you think you ought to be made to feel bad enough that you would put forth the effort to learn how to read? Especially if you're 18 years old. And graduating, you can't even read your own name on your diploma, but it happens. Uh, By the way, if you've got a problem, people say, Well, I just can't homeschool. Hey, I can do a better job than that. How about you? I wouldn't let my kid grow up in my home and not know how to read and write and things. But it happens because they don't want people to feel bad. You say, but, but, but the guilt is crushing me. Oh, wait a minute. Mourning and guilt are two different things. Guilt is what Jesus paid for on the cross. Mourning is sorrow. Is uncontrollable sorrow is what mourning is. When is the last time you got in touch with the holiness of God to the point that it made you weep? That's what the mourning here is. By the way, you'll never get there until... You're bankrupt of spirit first. There is blessing in mourning. It seals the decision that I can't do it. And it puts me full at the mercy of God. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. You see, we have environmentalist. Uh, you know, we ought to figure out how to pronounce that correctly. They, they have been years calling us fundamentalist instead of fundamentalist and uh i I don't know how we would do that, but you 've got to be deranged uh, to to believe that you could destroy this whole world by driving a car uh, or some of the other things that we do in fact we we have been so against producing things in this country that we're making the rest of the world rich, and listen, meekness is operating under God's authority. You know what? It's not weakness. It's not just simply... um, uh, The best way I know how to say it is simply this. It's when I stop worrying about what other people are doing to me, And I am concerned about what people are doing and saying against God. We've been doing the life of David on Thursday night. That's why David killed Goliath. He was doing it in the spirit of meekness. He was not concerned. Read the the railings of Goliath against uh, David. And David, when he returned those, he did not say, You big fat old oaf! Now, could he have said that? I am sure he could have said that. But see, David was not concerned about the personal invective toward him. He said, you've come to defy the God of Israel, and God is going to destroy you. Uh, That's meekness. You know how often we get worried about things because we think someone is thinking something or saying something bad Uh, about us or trying to injure us in some way. What did God tell Samuel? He said, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. You know what the meek are going to do? They're going to inherit the earth. And we're not going to pollute it. But I will tell you this, God expects us to exploit it for all that it can produce. If we wanted to, we could feed every hungry person in the world. If we just took the farmland in Kansas and used it properly. Just one state. You know, our government is paying farmers to leave their fields lie fallow, not to use them. It's part of the farm bill. Why? Because they want to keep the grain prices high enough to support the farmers so they can buy their new tractors and things. Hey, we could feed the world if we wanted to. The Ukraine used to produce more wheat than any other place on earth. And if we don't send food to them, they're starving today. That's how good a job communism does. Hey, Blessed are the meek. Don't try to be in charge now. If you're meek, you will be during His kingdom. Amen? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. What are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? I remember the first time uh, we were on my grandfather's homestead. It was his great-great-grandfather or somebody had bought this land from the Indians in the 1700s. And nobody had lived on that land except Johnston's and Indians. And that's about as far back as it goes. And they had this beautiful little spring right there in the ground. Just kind of, The water just seeped right up through the ground. And they, of course, had put stones around it and Uh, There were salamanders swimming in it and all kinds of things. And I will tell you, the first time I took a drink of water, I said, Dad, what's wrong with this water? He said, Son, you don't understand. He said, This is really good water. It is the best there is. And I'll tell you, I can still remember, as I got my taste buds realigned, you know, real water ought not have a flavor to it. Hey, not unless you put it in. I remember spending some time with a friend in Illinois and he said, Oh, we got great water here and there's little things floating around in the water. And I'm sitting here going, He said, Oh, those are the minerals. He said, We got extremely hard water here. He said, It's good for you. He said, give me a drink of that little spring on Grandpa's place. You know, you have to have your taste buds realigned. If you're going to hunger and thirst after righteousness, it's not normal for a person to do that. Uh, I want to challenge you that the poorness and the mourning and the meekness are the things that God wants to put in your life to get you hungering and thirsting for the right things. When you finally see what it is to operate under God's authority, it's going to make you hungry for something more. When you finally realize that being close to God isn't some ecstatic feeling when they... Uh, hit the right rift on the electric guitar or thump the drums in the right direction or, or uh, everybody's jumping up and down. Praise God, we've never had that problem at this church, you know. But to truly hunger and thirst after righteousness, it's hard as a pastor. I watch people come in and, oh, oh you, you do this preaching thing all the time. You're pretty serious about this preaching thing, aren't you? Don't, don't you want us to share what we think? Why do you think you're the only one who should tell us? I've had people do that. And I, you know, this just isn't your kind of church. I'm sorry. You know, God uses preaching and hungering and thirsting after righteousness. God has to retune us to want the things That He wants us. And when you get hungry for the things that God has for you, it opens the door to blessing. Amen? This next one. You know, I think if any of us wanted to start somewhere, we would like to start with the next one. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, please don't raise your hand. But most of us would like to think of us, think of ourselves as merciful people. Most of us would like to think of ourselves in that light. And and I want to challenge you. If you think you're merciful, you're not. It's, It's like humility. The moment you believe you have it, you just lost it. Mercy is one of life's most precious commodities. You're not going to get mercy until you've hungered and thirsted after righteousness, until you've parted with the things of this world and understand. Because what is mercy? Mercy is the removal of deserved punishment by the victor given to the defeated. You know, most of us won't stay in... uh, I mean, this happens in marriages. They won't stay together long enough to get the victory over themselves and over the situation, and therefore there can never be any mercy. I wish we could get a hold of the knotheads at the State Department and in, in our government and help them understand that you can't give mercy to an undefeated foe. It doesn't work. So how do I be merciful? Do I have to have victory over everybody? Well, wait a minute. How do I show mercy? by not requiring of others that which God has already forgiven them for. That's how I show mercy. How many of you have ever been injured by another human being? How many of you have ever thought about, I'm not going to get mad, I'll just get even. Don't tell me you haven't. You've thought those things. It says no one buries the hatchet without drawing a map so he can find it again if he needs to use it, right? The simple truth of the matter is mercy is not requiring of others what God has already forgiven them for. Does that mean they have to take advantage of God's forgiveness for me to show them mercy? Absolutely not! Absolutely not! You know what? They can hate you till the day they die. But you can still be merciful toward them in not holding that grudge, and not carrying that weight around, in not being what you ought not be. The story that Jesus uses is the man who owed his master 10,000 talents. We've been through this. Average, put that in modern day terms, 116 million, 1.16 million, 1,160,000 days' wages. How many lifetimes would it take you to earn that? He was forgiven that debt. And he went out and found his fellow servant who owed him 100 pence. By the way, that's still 100 days' wages. But even that hundred pence wouldn't make one of the 10,000 talents that he had just been forgiven for. And he tried to require that of his fellow servant. And the Lord went back on, changed his mind and required him all of that that he had forgiven him for. You know what? God's forgiveness is there. We're free. But if you're going to require of others that which they owe you, you're not going to get mercy from God. We need mercy. Amen? But you can't show mercy until God has built a platform in your life. If you try to show mercy without having the foundation, it's going to collapse you. It's going to crush you. Mercy is too powerful a commodity to be held by untrained and unprepared hands. By the way, the next one comes in order, I believe. I don't think you're going to get here until you get past merciful... Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, we are distracted by so many things. We have so much going on. You know, one of the things that I am looking so forward to about the New Jerusalem is there will be no maintenance necessary. I'm hanging up the table saw. When Jesus calls me home. And all of the tools I'm leaving for the Antichrist. He can use them. More power to it. Listen. That's what Jesus was talking about. When he talked to Mary and said she chose that good part that's not going to be taken away from her. But I want to warn you. Even though Mary had progressed all the way here when Lazarus died, it was not Mary's faith. It was Martha's. You can step back. You can lose these things. That's why you you ought to have it memorized. And you need to work through this thing. And then, blessed are the peacemakers. Have you ever tried to make peace in a situation that you couldn't make peace in? You know, in New York City, we have more police officers killed in the line of duty trying to solve domestic disputes than in any other call that they get to. You know what those police officers are trying to do? They're trying to make peace. And it's happened more than once where a police officer finally take. That offending spouse that's been pummeling, uh, we usually would say the man, but uh, I know it goes both ways nowadays. And so we'll just say the violent one that's been beating up on their spouse and they put them in handcuffs and that one that's been beaten will go grab a kitchen knife and attack the officers. You know why? They're trying to make peace in a situation where they have no foundation to make peace. You need to pray for our police. They're in a lose-lose situation. They can't win no matter what happens. Because the only way you can truly be a peacemaker is to bring someone to Jesus Christ. Because only He can change your heart. You know, there's a lot been made of soul winning. But here's where the soul winners are. But I want to challenge you. There's an awful lot of false soul winning going on out there. There's an awful lot of empty prayers and professions. Because when Jesus saves somebody, guess what? He does something on the inside. You cannot stay as you were when Jesus saves you. And I wish we could see more souls saved than we do. But one of the problems that we have is we're not peacemakers. You see, the only way you can have peace is by knowing God. The peacemaker brings somebody to God. Amen? And then the last one is blessed are those, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I want you to grab a hold of this. See, I I struggled with this for years. Why should I be so full of joy when somebody curses me out because I'm a Christian? Well, let me tell you why. You see, how blessed is it to be so unstoppable that the world has to resort to verbal and physical violence to try to stop you? What admission has the world made when they do that? You know, when Islam pulls out a sword and starts trying to cut people's heads off, what are they saying? They're saying that their religion cannot save you, their religion cannot change you, so we're going to kill you. You know what? The Christian has never done that. We don't have to. Because I don't care who you are. My God is big enough to save your soul. And, if you don't want Him to, He's not going to. But there's a price to pay. You see, there's an awful lot of blessings in life. When I stop trying, when I allow God to Give me true sorrow over my sin. That's when he can comfort me. When I start operating under his authority instead of mine, guess who's in charge now? Well, God is, of course, but I'm operating under his authority, and so I don't have to worry about what people are doing to me that's going to make me hunger and thirst for the right things so that I'll grow and get strong, so that I'll get so full of God's righteousness that the mercy spills over the top. Oh, what a place that would be. But if you ever wake up and say, Hey, wow, look where I am. You lost it. Let's go back in spirit and start over again because it's that poverty that allows us to be totally dependent upon God. It'll give me that single heart so that I love nothing than God, but God. You know what? Then, I'll be able to bring people to God. It won't be my effort It will be the Holy Spirit of God's. And when I run into people who cannot be saved, their only alternative is going to be violence toward me because they can't stop me. And guess what? If I'll just open my eyes and see, that is complete proof that I'm walking in the Spirit and not in the flesh. That I am actually being used of God instead of trying to serve Him. There's a difference. We need blessing in our lives. You know, it wouldn't hurt to just take those Beatitudes and print them on a piece of paper and put them on the refrigerator door. You know, someplace that you go often. Amen? Uh, read them over before you go to sleep at night. Keep them constantly there, because they're God's pathway to blessing. But how often do we think about them? Our first response when someone does something against us is to push back. It tells us we've got far too much flesh and far too little spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would teach us, and Lord, just such a brief summary tonight, yet... That's what time allows. And Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to do a whole lot more teaching during the week than we have right now. That it would just be a planting time. That we could see that harvest come in of blessings as we surrender each point to you and are grown and brought on our way by the Holy Spirit of God. We ask that You would help us surrender that which needs surrendering, to confess and forsake that which needs to be put out of our lives. Lord, to allow the tears to flow, to simply stop worrying about ourselves. We ask You to work. The decisions may be made in this point in time. In your name we pray. Amen. And we'll take just a few moments, we'll keep our heads bowed and let's just not even worry about the piano tonight. If you need to slip out and spend some time at the altar, the altar's open.